Heavenly Father, thank you for miracles. Lord, they're going on around us every day. I pray that we would slow down long enough to be able to see them and to hear them and know that for some of us, a transformed life because we've made a commitment to follow you is the miracle. And there are so many of them sitting here in this room right now. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for the work that you continue to do all over the world, Lord, especially in the face of so many tragic circumstances that we see every single day. We have to hold on to the hope that we know you are here and you love us and you're still at work in our world. And we thank you for that. And so we thank you for today's message, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. To get us started today, we're going to watch a fun and kind of funny video that's going to talk a little bit about growing up, or not. Sooner or later, we all have to grow up. And though it may seem fun and exciting to move on to the next stage of life, it is actually something you should avoid at all cost. You see, growing up means getting all sorts of responsibilities and having to be mature all the time, and that's never fun. The best way to keep from growing up is to act as irresponsible and immature as you can at all times. And that means calling people boogerheads and getting into I know you are but what am I arguments that end with the classic I am rubber and you are glue defense. You'll know you have succeeded in delaying growing up if the people around you keep saying, Wow, that person has a lot of growing up to do. These have been Deep Thoughts from a Shallow Christian. Yeah, don't yeah, applaud the shallow Christian. I'm, I'm all over it. Oh, man. My name is Bill. For those of you who might be visitors, and, and that's the introduction. And uh, actually, that's not what we want to do. What we're going to be talking about for the next actually several weeks is about maturing, is about growing up, uh, is putting childhood aside. Uh, exciting part that we have as Christians, the ability we have as Christians, is to grow and mature, is to put behind us those things that are destructive and painful to us and to those around us, and to become an adult. You know, this is our uh, graphic that we have, and, and one of the main reverses that we're talking about underneath it is about our responsibility as a church to help people grow, our responsibility as parents to help people grow. The verse that says that the responsibility of God's people to do His work is to build up the church, the body of Christ. That would be us. This will continue, and here's the reason the church exists, to help people until we come to the unity of our faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, and we, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. To us, the standard is established. For those who follow Christ, we don't have to be confused about what maturity is. We just have to look at Jesus Christ. He was presented to us as, as the perfect uh, human being. So we want to be adults, to behave like an adult. Uh, to attend the ordinary task required of a responsibility. Fully devoted, or fully developed, mature, grown up. Mature, having completed the natural growth and development, having attained a final or desired state. That's growing up. That's what we're going to be seeking over the next six weeks as we go forward. The video said what we shouldn't do. 
But as a, as a Christian, we're going to be looking, or those seeking Christ, really, because this applies to everybody, we're going to be looking at, at maturing in three specific areas. Number one, we're going to really encourage parents. This is an opportunity as parents to recalibrate, to look through what is our specific goal in the parenting process, and what does that look like? So we also want to do that as, as individuals. What's our individual growth? Where can we grow? Many people, when a series like this comes up, they say, oh, I know who needs to hear that. And normally you try and drag them here. So if you think the person next to you is the, really the focus of this series, that's not true. It's a personal. It's us. It's individually so that I can grow you can grow individually and personally. And finally, we want to grow up as a church. We want to grow up and, and, and be that body of Christ, that, that group, that family that helps people mature and, and, and function, both as uh, adults, as parents, as servers and followers of Christ. Uh, we see the natural process. We start out in a, in, in a, you know, in a, in a dighty, laying in a crib. We start crawling. We start walking. And we become mature physically. So each week we're going to look at how we're supposed to mature as followers. We're going to look at six characteristics that define maturity. Uh, first off, we're going to be talking about an adult. An adult takes responsibility for ourselves. We don't blame others. We don't play the victim card. We learn to be responsible for our decisions and actions. That's our topic today. Today is taking personal responsibility. Uh, next week, we're going to be able to uh, look at what it means to be a mature follower and preparing for the future, investing our time, our energy, our money, our resources, planning for the future so that we, we actually, as adults, we plan for that. We don't let it come and overtake us. Next part of being an adult uh, as we go forward, is to know our purpose. Why are we here? What's our purpose in life? What are we supposed to accomplish? One of the things we're going to do that week, and an encouragement to think ahead at that, is to be able to write out a personal mission statement for ourselves that we feel is from God. This is why I'm here. This is what God wants me to do. That's as an adult, we should know what our purpose is. The next is obvious, uh, the next couple really are obvious, is that as an adult, we control our emotions. We don't let our emotions and our feelings control us. The last thing in, in this, this particular group is be able to function in healthy relationships with other people. Each of these things are, are specific points of maturity and then because we're in a church the the last one the sixth one is to grow spiritually uh what does it look like to be a biblical christian so those that's where we're going with this but but one of the things why are we doing this series you know why is this for for us uh where am i in this process what is that what does that look like and so at the beginning of every series we'll normally stop and we try at the beginning of the series and say, why are we doing this series? Why should you invest your time? Why should we invest uh, uh, our time each week? Why do we encourage you to do your daily study guide so you'll be prepared? What is so important about maturity? 
I'll start with a, uh, a survey that is 20 years old. And I want to preface this. This survey is 20 years old. Those five original characteristics of maturity, being able to be responsible to plan for the future, emotional uh, responsibility, all of those things, those five, was a survey that went around the world. And they sent teams to nations all around the world to define maturity that way. And so they looked at each culture and they said, okay, are you mature by the standard? Results of that 20 years ago was that average age to maturity worldwide was 14 and a half. Well, that's not bad. In the United States at that time was 28 and a half. This has significantly increased up to past 33 now because of some of the things that have happened. Because as we continue to remove God from our culture, from our country, from our educational system, we copy the behaviors and customs of this world instead of letting God transform us by changing the way we think. Our culture, our country, our educational system, and much of the media has been captured by false philosophies, the false religions of humanism, the false religions of psychology, sociology, all of the ologies that we think we're so wise in really run against the teachings of Christ. It didn't just happen overnight. It took 60 years. Bible out of the school, God out of school, prayer out of school, truth of God out of schools, moral absolutes out of, uh, out of the government, or excuse me, out of schools, out of the government, the entertainment industry, the media has all been turned over to the philosophies of this world. As a result, we're not producing mature adults. We've been producing mature humanists with a, with a, with a worldview uh, that is part of that. Uh, currently today, and this is a statistic I use a lot, is that people who attend church regularly and, and who call themselves a Christian, only 10% of the people have a Christian worldview. In other words, as we look at each of these maturing areas, only 10% will agree, well, the Bible's right on that. They'll, they'll follow the other. They've been captured by that. And so I want to go through a contrast a contrast between what a biblical Christian looks like, what maturity looks like in the Bible, and then we're going to look at what maturity looks like in a worldwide, the secular worldview of it. The first one we're talking about today. The Bible says that we're responsible for our choices and our behavior. You and I, we are. The secular worldview says that we're victims. Something has happened to us in the past that means that we're not accountable because this or that event, or we were raised in poverty, we were abused when we were young. None of these are good things. None of these are good things. We certainly don't advocate them. But what we're saying is, if we look at those and say, well, I'm not responsible for my behavior because of, what we're doing is we're playing the victim card inside of our lives, making us not responsible. That's, that's one of the empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense of our world. That's, that's the first one that we have. Here's the, the next uh, comparison is uh, as, as we go forward, God's plan for maturity. Our choices prepare us for the future. It's just common sense. If I want to eat chocolate chip cookies, I have to plan time to go to the store and buy them. 
Now, I can't sit at home and say, oh, I don't have chocolate chip cookies. Oh, my. I was entitled to chocolate chip cookies. Someone should have dropped them off. The worldview is that we're entitled to be taken care of, regardless of our choices. There's a safety net underneath us. We've, we've become part of a nanny state where everything is taken care of. We, we, we're not responsible for that. But, that. but see the comparison and the contrast. World's opinion, God's opinion. The next one that we're looking at in, in, in the same area in God's plan is that God's plan for our maturity is we're to seek God and His purpose and our calling. It's part of who we are. Every, by the way, just my, my opinion to take pushback on this, I believe buried in the heart of every human being is a desire to be significant. Not significant that we all want to be some high mighty person, but we want our lives to count. When we, when, when we have a memorial service, we don't want them to get up and say, that was a waste. Just saying. We want to know our purpose. Now, secular worldview for maturity says that we know our purpose. It's self-actualization. It's exalting of self. It's getting everything we can, stuffing it in the bag, owning it, letting everyone praise and worship us as we go through life. We're the center of everything that's happening. Secular worldview as compared to God's worldview. The next one is, is one that's, that's challenging in our culture as we go forward because it talks about emotions, our, our moods and our toods. We're supposed to be able to control them. We shouldn't be flying off the handle in anger. We shouldn't be melting into uh, depression and, and all, all the emotional ups and downs and swings. Not that those aren't real and valid, but God gives us tools to control them. So we become responsible for, for putting in place those things in our life that controls our moods and our toods. Secular worldview. Our emotions and attitudes again, are caused by others. And so we're not responsible for them. We'll talk about modern psychology as we go through some of this and, and how they give us a get-out-of-a-responsibility-free a card. So we're to control our emotions as we go forward. The world says, no, that that's, just defines who you are. The next one is, uh, the, the worldview is uh, our attitude uh, for, for why we're is our relationships. Relationships, biblically, is an opportunity to serve God and to serve others. Our singular purpose is to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Very clear directive that's there. Secular worldview uh, of what, why we're here is really we build relationships, we go through life looking for the opportunity for other people to serve us. To bring us chocolate chip cookies, if that's what's needed. But the secular worldview is that it, it's all about me. Uh, the government, everything is here. The churches, everything to meet my needs. Uh, I have no responsibility in that. Now, as 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 we look at that, the the last one is when we start talking about uh, God and our plan for Him specifically. Uh, God's point of view. God's wisdom is that God defines himself. God defines what's true and false. And God defines the way to heaven. 
secular worldview, current view inside of our country is that we define our God. We define what areas we follow him, how we treat him, what commands. If there's a command that we don't particularly like, well, that's all out of date. It doesn't apply. So we define our own God. And I say this all the time, and it's my favorite, so people actually feedback. Most people who come to Crossroads for a while know what this is. This is my personal Jesus. It's my Jesus. I have a personal relationship with my personal Jesus. So I get to define it. That's the worldview. I define my God. I define my truth. Uh, and I define my way to heaven. If I'm a good person, I'm in. God loves everyone so much, he'll send no one to hell. These are modern teachings that we have, the philosophies of this world that we live in. So, so how are we doing? Do we need this article? Do we need this series? Yeah, absolutely. If you look at the world, I don't think anyone here is going to argue that we're awash in immaturity. We're awash in violence. We're awash in... In, in really reaping the fruit of kicking God out of our country. The uh, mass shootings that take place, we just had another one in Odessa, Texas, uh, that just took place. Uh, people were killed, uh, six dead, uh, 21 wounded. Another just, just went, went wonky. That's the technical term, wonky. Hang on to that. Uh, we see it everywhere where we go. We now have 255 group shootings since the beginning of the year. Uh, abuse continues. Road rage, air rage, workplace rage. Uh, the immaturity, I get the opportunity, I down in L.A. this last week in Orange County, driving through there. The guys drive like they're nuts. Any open space is a challenge to their, to their ability to irritate you, I guess. And you watch them and you just sit back and say, well, that's the worst thing. I've, that's immaturity on steroids. He, you know, sending 3,000 pounds down the road at 80, 90 miles an hour in and out of almost bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic. That's insanity. I said, I'm glad I live in Ridgecrest. <laughs> then I drive China Lake Boulevard, and I try and do the speed limit. And would you stop honking at me? <laughs> and, and waving as you go by with hand gestures? Thank you. The, the immaturity, it really is all around us. Here's, here's kind of a fun, sick statistics. 50% uh, of millennials after graduation are moving back home with their parents. Nearly two-thirds, 63% of all millennials are somewhat dependent on their parents. Uh, uh, only 37% are totally responsible for themselves. Millennials are 21 to 37 years old. So a very small percentage of them are totally independent. They're getting some help from mom. Uh, One-third of young adults in this class, between the ages of this is 18 and 34, still live with their parents in 2015. Break their plate, never mind. Uh, of this group, one in four, roughly 2.2 million people, they're, mean, they're described as idle, meaning they don't have a job, they're not looking for a job, and they're not going to school. Got any idle people in your home or in your... You know, never mind. Leave that alone. Uh, but this is not a good report. But 
the, the, the good news of that report is those people living in that condition reported that they're very happy with their family life. So they're not going anywhere. What causes people to move out of homes in that most commonly is they, they, they establish a romantic relationship with someone else that's probably living with their parents and they move out together. So that uh, that becomes the new normal. One third of the couples living together actually uh, are not married at this particular time. They, they, they're not married because they're avoiding responsibility. Uh, one of the saddest things, and uh, I don't want to develop this too much, is probably one of the most challenging things in our world today. This is in our world as far as maturity is concerned. Uh, there's a, there's a progression of normal growth that takes place. We've all seen the evolutionary chart where it starts out and we're, we're kind of crawling and then we stand up. This came out of the Wall Street Journal article. Isn't that depressing? The reason they put that is that, uh, we'll come back to some of the statistics, but this year, 800,000 people will commit suicide. That's more than all wars. That's more than all. Like all the things that take place inside the world, 800,000 people are going to choose to take their own life. Uh, when confronted by this, the Wall Street Journal article said, a, a distinguished evolutionist psychologist named Nicholas Humphrey uh, started to explore this. And he said, well, it went back to Charles Darwin, who said that really natural selection will never produce a being that, is, that will ever be hurt themselves. Uh, he was wrong. The more we evolve as a culture and a society, the more damaging we become to ourselves. You know, this is, this is something that's taking place. This is more than all the murders and everything else in the world. Suicide. The suicide rate in teen girls has gone up, a, I think it's 100% in the last 12 years. They're taking more, it's the number two killer of teens in our country is suicide. It's, it's a challenge to all of us. Let's, let's go on. That's recent survey also talks about emotional stability inside of our country. And again, I, I am an advocate when people need a temporary transition to be able to use psychotropic drugs. But currently in our country, the, the statistic comes up to almost 80 million people are regularly using and have now become as a part of their lifestyle with actually the, the psychologist, they don't have a plan to transition off. Is this, is this a concern? Well, uh, it controls uh, in some people's lives for depression, for anxiety, for, for fear, all of these things. But it's just an indication of emotional maturity inside of our country. So there's issues. I don't think anyone here is going to push back on that as we look around. And, and most families have some classic examples. They like have mature a little. I'm sure my wife wants, I know my wife wants me to mature because we all can grow. But what's the personal path to maturity and responsibility in our country? Okay, very, very clear. Uh, the solution in our country is not another government program the programs that we put forward if you want to look at housing the homeless they won't follow the program because if you take the housing you have to follow the rules for over almost three years now as a as a, as a church we've tried to address the homeless problem 
in our community with providing vouchers and offering transportation and bringing them to places of safety. And the one thing we found out, the people who are homeless want to be homeless. They don't want the responsibility uh, that goes on the other side of that. Another government program won't change that. We don't need a, another humanistic educational program or educational program uh, such as sex ed in California that just took place, Common Core, some of the other humanist teachings. We don't need more of that. Uh, our nation will grow and change and mature one heart at a time. Every day, if I choose to mature my nation, this country, this city, this church, my family becomes more mature. As, as each person here, if you choose to mature and grow, the city becomes more mature. As we let that manifest our lives, the culture changes. And the main challenge, first off, is parenting. Parents' job is to produce mature, functional, independent adults who are able to control their own lives and ultimately go out and, and become married, establish another family, have children that they raise. Now, uh, it's parents, it's, it's dads, it's moms, and we come to a place where we run smack into the philosophy of our culture. Uh, Dr. Spock, for those of you who know he was not the guy from Star Trek, Dr. Spock, uh, Benjamin Spock, wrote a book called Parenting, and a hundred million copies were sold. The main thrust that controlled the parenting mode of our country for decades was you don't ever spank your kids. You don't ever correct your kids. No matter what they do, don't discipline them because you will warp them. Their natural goodness will flow out in time. The, the hippie generation proved he was wrong. By the way, after a hundred million books, Benjamin Spock came out and said, oh, by the way, I was totally wrong. Millions of families followed him. The Bible says, instead of letting them do what they want, discipline them. If you don't discipline them, you hate your kids. And, and we all know that. We've all been in homes, and maybe we have been part of this ourselves. When a young four-year-old puts on a reign of terror that controls the whole home and controls the attitude, the moods, the tudes. When, when the teenager's not having a good day, the whole family's in the funk. We have to train them. If we love our kids enough, we'll discipline them. They don't come out innocent, sweet. They come out little sinners, prideful and selfish. It's parents' job to train and mold them into mature adults. That's their responsibility. So, so how do we take responsibility for ourselves? This is the main thrust for today is very simple. We understand that we have to pay careful attention to our work, our lives, our attitudes, all the things that we do, our relationships. Pay careful attention to what we do. If we do that, we'll get the satisfaction of a job well done. We don't need to compare ourselves to anyone else, for we're each responsible for our own conduct. That I know that sitting here, that, that's probably not shocking. But wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we're responsible. And most of us can look back at times and say, I may not have been as responsible in that situation as I should have been. 
But, but the bottom line is we recognize and we take that responsibility inside of ourselves. It's God's plan. We are not victims. We can choose to be victims or we can choose to be victors and we can go forward. The question is whose responsibility? You know, I, we, we live in a culture uh, where we almost reward irresponsibility. Most of us are familiar uh, with Stella uh, Liebeck, who had a cup of coffee. She came out of a McDonald's, pulled over to the side to take the top off to put cream and sugar into it. So she spilled it between her legs. And so she had on sweatpants, so it, it, it caused third-degree burns. Of course, now, because it wasn't her fault that that happened, it was McDonald's' fault for serving hot coffee, which we all seek, uh, uh, they rewarded her with $3 million dollars. Where is McDonald's? But I found a better one. Uh, not better. This last Friday, a man goes into Popeye's chicken. He's looking for Popeye chicken. And so he has got his heart set on Popeye chicken for him and himself. Popeye was running a, uh, a sale that week, so they were out of chicken. So this man comes into Popeye looking for his chicken, and they were out. So He's suing him for $5,000 because he had to spend four hours looking for a suitable meal for his family. I, I believe he deserves every penny of it. <laughs> Lawsuits show that, you know, as we sue other people for the things that we're to do, we're to be responsible for ourselves and our future. We should do that because we know the truth. In Christ, we've been set free. We've been made responsible. We've been empowered. We'll know the truth. It'll set us free. The truth is we're responsible. You know, I, each week, we're going to be dealing with, with what we call our maturity checklist. There's a stack of them in the back over there. I've given this out in parenting, and we've given them out as a church for 20-plus years. And all of this is the characteristics we're talking about. I have encouraged parents over all these years to take it, look at it, See if you agree this is what your kids should be when they leave the home. If you agree, then apply a plan to bring it about. And for teenagers, show the teenager the, 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 the sheet and say, this is what we think a mature adult is. And by the way, it may be new data to them. But I've never had a teenager push back, even the most rebellious. They say, oh, well, that's good. Even though they're choosing not to do it, they know it's good. So establish a plan. Pick one up. And it's not only good for just parenting. It's good for us. I encourage us to, I do, look at the list that's there. So we know the truth. So each week we'll be going over this as we go forward, covering the five areas. This week, the first area on the checklist is being responsible for our actions, not being a victim. And so all I've done is I've taken the, the maturity checklist, the big heading, I'm responsible. I'm responsible for my actions, attitudes, and responsibilities. A, know our personal responsibilities. Know what we're supposed to be. What work are we supposed to be about? Do it without being told. Control our spending, our time, our investment. Control that. You know, one of the things, and this is back to parenting, parents teach personal responsibility. One thing that, you know, so many parents are snooze alarm clocks. They give their kids three or four, oh, it's time to get up. Please get up. Give them one time. If not, just throw a glass of ice water on them. It'll only take a couple of times. I'm serious. Why do you train them 
to make you a snooze alarm. If you've got extra time, cool, make me chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> Controlling each of the areas that we're in. We're responsible for doing that, uh, for saving money, for avoiding debt, for investing t- quality time in relationships, for guarding. We're responsible for our health. These are our responsibilities. Know what they are and be able to carry them out without supervision. You know, if, if we have to look over our kid's shoulder all the time, we're not teaching them to do this. We should be teaching them to do what is right, not just when we're looking, but when we're not looking with reverent fear of the Lord. We work for God. When we go to work, if, if we're not diligently working to bring glory to God, then we're missing the point. So work without, without supervision in each area. The next area on a checklist, again, is no blame shifting from one person to another. If we make a mistake, own it. Come up and say, you know, I made this mistake. Husbands, wives, workers, kids. Now, kids, I want to warn you. If you get this revelation and, and you come to your parents and say, you know, I was really wrong when I talked back. Be prepared with smelling salts. As they faint and fall to the ground, you can bring them back. The next one, I, I put this in here only because uh, it's, it's true. Learn from our mistakes, and if someone corrects us. You know, I, I asked them to put this, a single rebuke uh, does more for a person of understanding than a hundred lashes to a fool. Our ability and our freedom to stand before God and say, God, show me my stuff. I don't care if you have an emotional outbreak, if you have a relational conflict, if something goes wrong at work and all that. Before you start blaming the other person, go aside and say, God, show me my pride and my selfishness in that conflict or situation. I can just about guarantee you, you'll never come away empty if you listen. God will tell you what your stuff is in that situation. And finally, again, my favorite verse gets to sneak out here. Learn from our mistakes. The verse speaks for itself. Most of us have seen a dog eating its own vomit. (laughs) Insanity is doing the same thing, expecting different results. Please learn. You know, and again, I'm just going to touch this because we'll do it every week. One of the biggest blame shifts in our country is kicking our responsibilities up to God. We sit and we pray, God, give me patience, give me love, give me joy, give me this, give me that, give me all these things. Almost all of our prayers are something he's already doing. You know, God fully equips and empowers His children. One of the most powerful verses in the Bible is, is, comes out of Ephesians 1-3 where it says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given you and I as Christians every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places if we're in Christ. We have a full deck. Some of us have a few too many jokers, 
But we have a full deck of anything that we need to succeed in life. Our God does that. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have what's there. So many people, because when we pray and ask God to give it to us, we're saying we don't have what we need, and he's already given it. And what happens is we take a step back, and I see this all the time. People take a step back and say, I'm waiting for God to do his part. Note to self. He's already done it. Unpack it. Bring that tool out and use it. We can't blame God. There's just a quick example is that God provides the Holy Spirit in each of our lives. Which means each of us, he's given a full measure of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness. All of these things are part of our life. So it's interesting. People say, uh, let's say, Lord, give me love. I already have. Give me joy, Lord. <laughs> I already have. Give me peace. Give me patience. I already have. Obviously, God doesn't respond that way. But he's going, really? We ask for things that he's already done as he goes forward. He's revealed himself to us. He's let us know his power, his love. Ever since the world began, God has revealed himself to each and every person here. We respond to his, his power in creation. We look at the beauty, the magni magnificence of it. We look at the specific details uh, inside of our lives. The ability, just the connection of people and how we're put together. This wonderful thing that he's put in front of us. It says, we ha so they have no excuse for not knowing God. He reveals himself to us. He's given us a moral compass to tell us what's right and wrong. Even when I was running and gunning far from God, I knew what right and wrong was. I tried to deny, justify, tell everyone else. But I knew, and so do you. We know. God gives us a moral compass, a conscience. A conscience. Con with science. I love that connection. Please connect and hold on to that. Conscience means with science, with knowledge. Planted in my heart and yours is the knowledge of what is right and wrong. He's given us a moral compass. He's given us an inspired word, a guide, the Bible. We just spent seven weeks studying the Bible. It's got, it proves to be a supernatural book. It's inspired by God. It's suitable for, for teaching, for recruit to tell us what's right, to tell us what's wrong, to adequately equip us for every good work. And oh, by the way, we, you and I, are responsible for reading it. We are responsible for applying it to our lives. God gives us all the tools. We can choose to use them. We can be responsible for all of the things that he's given us. It's like the study guide we hand out here every week uh, through each series. A good guide to go ahead with. If you're looking for a place to start, pick up a study guide on the way out. What's the application? Well, bottom line is we're responsible. We're responsible for our lives, the things that take place. We are not victims of situations and circumstances. You know, Yes, they're terrible. Yes, they're, yes, we have to adjust and get our bearings. But ultimately, the come out of the pain, the victories, everything of life 
It's our responsibility. God has done his part. Reject the lies, the false philosophies of our cultures that says we're a victim. Don't, don't let them sideline you with that. Uh, vain philosophies, high-sounding nonsense. Put on Christ. This is the privilege, the honor, and the ability. He's given us every tool necessary and every opportunity. Since we've heard about Christ and learned the truth that comes from him, throw off our immature, sinful nature that this junk is taken care of. Let, let God renew our thoughts and put on Christ. You know, stop. I'm sorry. I mean, do you know what an honor that is? What an opportunity that Christ sets before us and invites us to be like him. Sit down with your kids and, and tell them the opportunity that they have to be like Jesus Christ, that he will empower, guide, give them purpose, show them how to be successful in life, not successful financially, maybe, but to successful human beings that love and care for other people. That's what Christ offers us. And, and he does that by giving his life for us. You know, regularly as a church, we stop and remember that. We stop and remember that, that Christ died for us so that we might have a future and a hope. We call it communion. And we're going to have communion, and which is communing, which is community. It's connecting. It's becoming common with Christ in it. Uh, the night that uh, before, when Christ was taken away, he, he gathers his disciples together, and he, and, he, and he says, my body's broken for you. Take it and live with it. Here, here's, here's the blood. Uh, here's, here's the cup. It washes away your sin. My, your sins have been paid for by me and my blood on the cross. Celebrate that. We are free to grow, mature, to become functional Christians, parents, friends, adults. We've been set free. You know, as we, as we take communion today, I encourage you to, to stop and, and to actually ask God. God, where can I grow? You know, pay attention to your work. And, and this verse, which I, I encourage you just to make it real in your life. Ask him. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. If there's anything that offends you, communion is quality time with God. Take it to asking. Is there anything I can grow in? Or excuse me, not is there anything? <laughs> Wrong prayer. God, thank you that you will show me where I can grow. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you that you, you never give up on us. You're constantly teaching, leading, maturing. You give us the wisdom to be able to come fully devoted, mature followers of Jesus Christ. That you equip parents to teach their kids. You equip Christians to encourage other Christians. And you give Christians the ability to show the love for those who don't know you that they might. During his communion time, thank you that you'll speak to each heart here that's open to listen. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.